Last year wasn't too bad. This year started out on a bumpy road. I'm gonna need a lot more than street smarts to crack these cases. These New Year mysteries. They say money can't buy happiness or success. But I've discovered the hard way. You can be blackmailed by money. What secrets are locked in the closet? Tyler mentioned earlier, as well as our campus pastors, very, very excited about this series. And I want to talk this weekend about the mystery of money. Because we all deal with money, don't we? Uh, money is a vital part of all of our lives. And I was thinking this week, um, money is one of those things that can bring or add to our joy. Or, at least according to the scripture, it can bring about um, destruction. And I was thinking about the different things the Bible talks about. Think about, it, think about them with me. The things that I wrote down. <clears throat> food, money, wine or alcohol, and sex. Those are all things that God created. And he created for our enjoyment and for his glory. And all of those things, the enemy, I, I, this is the way I wrote it in my notes. Is the enemy gets great pleasure at us using God's gifts to destroy God's creation. In other words, these things that God has given to us for our enjoyment and for his glory are the very things that the enemy wants to use to destroy us. And that's why the Bible talks about these things. It talks about them in the sense of moderation and that moderation is an addition to our joy. And what the enemy wants to do is for us to indulge, to see them as the foundation of our joy. In other words, without them, we can't have joy. Another thing that was interesting, and I, I don't know the answer to this, but when you think about those four things, the one that the world, I guess, would agree with the most, you know, all of culture, I guess, would be which one that are dangerous, can be dangerous? Which one would it be? It would be, be the food, wouldn't it? Right? I mean, there's lots of talk about living a healthy life and not overeating. They tax uh, sometimes uh, food, don't want us to have too big of Cokes and all those things. But what was, what's interesting to me is that the one the world talks the most about is the one that we find the least talked about in Scripture. Now, I don't know if that's, I don't know what it, if that means anything. I just thought it was kind of interesting. But the, but the, other, the other three, the world really hasn't seen um, the destruction. And so I, I want to talk, talk about what the Scripture says. And, and I know that there are probably some of us here and you're like, well, I mean, what authority does the Bible really have in my life? And I, just kind of aside here, I would just encourage you before you just push it to the side and say that it doesn't really have anything to say to your life, to investigate its claims, to investigate its authorities. There's, there's a lot more evidence for Scripture than maybe you realize. And it's real easy to push something to the side that may, um, I believe, does have a big impact on our lives. If you want to pull out the outline that you got when you came in, here's what I put in your outline. Is that money has the ability to blackmail us. You might think of it like this, to hold us hostage. In all of our lives, we all have, you know, money in common, and it plays different roles. And I, I wrote this in your notes. What does money pretend to hold hostage? doesn't really have this authority in our lives according to scripture but it pretends to and therefore it tries to blackmail us it tries to get us to do things that maybe normally we wouldn't do it kidnaps in the sense that it says in order for me to give you this you have to do that it's as if I were to kidnap something or to hold hostage something you owned and then I called you on the phone and I said hey you give me that and then I'll give you this now these are pretend, and we're going to see. The scripture says that money really doesn't have this much power in our lives, but it claims, it claims to. For example, the first one is uh, satisfaction. 
satisfaction. Money says, kind of calls us up and disguises its voice, and it says, hey, I can satisfy you if, if you give me your focus, you give me your love, you give me your lust, you give me your time. In other words, if you think about me, if you focus on me, if all of your thoughts and your plans are about me, I can bring you satisfaction. Money can satisfy you, it says. But in order to do that, you have to give it, according to money, your time, your focus, your priority, and your love. Now, let's look at what the scripture actually says. It says, the money lover isn't satisfied with money. So the very things that money's asking for, the scripture says, won't satisfy. Neither is the lover of wealth satisfied with income. This is pointless. Ecclesiastes is written by the wisdom writer, same writer that wrote Proverbs. And uh, Solomon experienced everything, and he got to the end of his life. And if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, he just got negative. I mean, he, he just basically points out all the things that he gave time and energy to that didn't really make a difference, didn't do what they, uh, what they promised to do. So money says that it will satisfy us. The scripture says that it really doesn't have the power um, to do that. It doesn't have it. Money doesn't have satisfaction. So even if you get, give money your time and your energy and your focus, it can't give you satisfaction. Money cannot satisfy. And we all know that, right? We all know that whatever amount of money you have today is probably more than what you had 10 years ago, and yet it's still not enough. They asked John D. Rockefeller, who was quite wealthy, they said, well, how much is enough? I mean, when do you know? When do you get to that place where you have enough? And you've probably read his answer. He said just a little bit more. And that's what money tends to do rather than actually satisfy. The other thing money tries to blackmail us with or pretend to hold hostage is significance. Money calls and it says, hey, if you'll give me your time, you'll give me your, your focus, you give me your love, you work hard to get me, then I can make you important, I can give you significance. I can give you value. Why? Because you got a lot of money. you got a lot of stuff. And that stuff means that you're of value or it means that you're important. Well, again, what does the scripture say in Luke chapter 12, verse 15? It says, then Jesus said to them, watch out. Guard yourself against all kinds of greed. And what is greed? It's just the desire to get more. It says, be careful about the desire to get more. Why? Because after all, one's life isn't determined. Your value isn't determined. Your significance isn't determined. Your worth isn't determined by one's possessions. Even, and I like how real the scripture is, even when someone has a lot of it, even if you're really wealthy, it can't give you what it promises. Money just doesn't have it, right? I mean, it, it, because the moment you get what money says it can give, there's always a little bit more. And what I mean by that is that if you get into one VIP room, there's always another VIP room that you didn't even know existed. A few years ago, we did a uh, conference for, or we hosted a conference for, uh, uh, what, 40, 50 of the largest churches in the world and um, some of the largest business people in the world. And we hosted that in Miami. It's, it's when we were able to raise the resources with these folks to help the refugees in Syria and Iran. I think we raised over $2 million um, uh, to do that. Well, since we were hosting in a hotel, they gave us rooms, gave us nice rooms. But I didn't know. I mean, I was feeling pretty good about the room that they were going to give to us until I realized that inside the hotel, there was another hotel. It, it didn't have a sign or anything on the outside. It was like a a nicer hotel. And I liked my room until I realized there was a nicer room that they were holding back on. And that's the room that I wanted if we were going to host it in their hotel. It, money has a way. There's always just a little bit more. There's always someone just a little more important. Someone who gets to go where you and I don't get to go. And then the last is security. Money tries to um, blackmail us, it tries to convince us that it has the power to make us feel satisfied, to make us feel significant, and that it can bring security. So if you had this much money, you just wouldn't have to worry anymore. 
You wouldn't have to worry about the market. You wouldn't have to worry about what happened in politics. You wouldn't have to worry about, because you would have, you would have enough. Well, what does the scripture say? It says, don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. And we're going to talk in a moment about what is, you know, what is rich. But because none of us feel rich. I never talked to anybody that said they were rich. Um, rich is what the person who has more than us is. But it says, don't wear yourself out trying to get enough. So in, instead of rich, you could even think of it like that. Get enough what? Get enough to be secure. Because we all have some kind of number in our mind. If I had this, then I would be secure. It says, don't wear yourself out doing that. Be wise enough to control yourself. Wealth can vanish in the wink of an eye. It can seem to grow wings and fly away like an eagle. Now, is that telling us that you and I are not supposed to save? No, it's wisdom. Um, and the Bible talks about uh, putting money aside and saving money. But what it is saying is that no matter how much you save, it's never going to be enough. Therefore, it can never give you security. Uh, here, I remember when we, we built this building, and then in 2009, we lost $10 million in equity on this piece of property. Overnight. It was just gone. And I have some pastor friends in Las Vegas who took a big hit on property. And when they went back to renew their loan, they didn't have enough equity to, to um, renew the loan. And so they found themselves in a, in a very difficult situation. Now, it all worked out better because in the end, their security wasn't in, um, wasn't in money. But what the scripture is trying to say is you'll never have enough. It's not telling you not to save. It's just saying that you will never have enough because no matter how much you have, it can be gone overnight. And because you know that, you don't need me to tell you that, but because you know that, you can't feel secure. So you spend your whole life trying to get enough in order to feel secure. So money pretends to hold significance and to hold satisfaction and to hold security but it doesn't own those it doesn't have those so even when we pay even when we give money our time and our focus and our energy and we put all our effort into it in the end we're always disappointed because it never turns it over never gives what it promises that it has now the second thing I put there in your notes is that money can hold some things hostage Money does have some blackmail power because money can hold these things uh, hostage. The, the first one I put in your notes there is peace. Money can kidnap peace from us. Again, the wisdom writer, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 12 says, Those who work hard sleep in what? Yeah, in peace. If, it's not important whether they eat a lot or a little. But rich people... And again, what is rich? We'll talk about that. But rich people worry about their wealth and therefore they cannot sleep. So one of the things that money can keep from you and I is our peace. In other words, our concern for what we have becomes so great that at night we can't sleep even though it was our hope that if we got money, it would actually give us peace. It would actually give us some sense of security or significance. But, but it doesn't. The more you have the more you have to worry about. I remember Steph and I, we were married for several years and we only had one car. That meant we only had to worry about four tires. Right? We only had to get gas for one car. We only had to worry about one car breaking down. Eventually, we became important and we got two cars. All right? We got an old Chrysler minivan and the transmission was always going out in that thing. And, and, but now we had two cars to worry about, and we had two car payments to worry about, and we had eight tires to worry about it. I mean, now, am I saying that you, we shouldn't get two cars? No. But what I, what, what I am saying is that when you and I try to, to get money to give what it can't give, it creates or robs or holds hostage from us the very thing we were hoping it would give us, which is peace. The more you have the more stressed you can become. It really depends on whether or not it's you that has it or whether or not you're just a steward of what you have. Because if it's you, then it's your responsibility, right? If you did it within your own strength and your own ability, now you have to make sure that there are eight tires and two transmissions 
But if it's something that God has given you, then he owns that uh, responsibility and has given us a promise. Another thing that money really can hold hostage is humility. Look what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. It says, command those who are rich. Command those who are rich with, things, with the things of this world not to be proud. Why? There's a tendency. If you and I have money or we have stuff to think, well, I'm important. Why? Well, because I, I, I did that. He says, tell them to put their hope in God, not in uncertain riches. Because God richly gives us everything to, what's that last word? To enjoy. Now, who is rich? It's an interesting, right? It's interesting because nobody really sees themselves as rich. Because if there's no margin in our lives, we would never think we were rich no matter how much money we have. I've heard people who make millions of dollars but who spend millions of dollars say that they're not rich. They just have a lot of money go through their hands. Right? So, so I, I was just doing a little research and, you know, we just came out of the political season. And, and so there's a lot of talk about money and the 1%. And um, according to usfunds.com, give you a little quiz here how much money would your household not you but your household have to make to put you in the top 20 percent of uh, wealth in the United States right, write it down let's see how close you get all right how much uh, money would you your household you and your spouse have to make to be in the top 20 percent of wealthy people in the United States if you put down $100,000, you are right, okay? It's $100,000, which is a lot of money. But there are a lot of two, uh, where two people are working who make that amount of money. So that means you're in the top 20%. There are 80%, 80% of the population um, has less than you do. If, you make, if your household makes $148,000, you're in the top 10%. And anybody that makes over $500,000 is in the top 1%. We hear a lot about the 1%. We tend to think of them as billionaires, but the reality is, if you make your household makes over $500,000, then you are in the top 1%. Now, if you broaden that out and you ask yourself worldwide, trying to figure out what is rich, what is wealth, well, all, all you'd have to make then is $34,000. If you made $34,000, or if you make $34,000, you're in the top 1% of the world's wealthy people. The global median income is $1,225 a year. So the truth is, is that the vast majority of us, while may not be wealthy compared to others, we, we, we probably qualify for rich. And I, I just bring that up because we too easily dismiss the truth that is sometimes found in, in these scriptures. And so it has the ability to rob from us humility. And, and the reason it does is because there can be, because you are somewhere on those numbers, the tendency to look at others and think, you know what, I'm better than this person. If you travel the world to go into a place where they have much less than you, and if you're not careful, you patronize them um, because you feel sorry for them. And, and that's... Um, that's called arrogance. And, and the reason that's so important is because humility is what positions us for God's blessing. So we find ourselves working against what it truly is we desire. So money does have a way to keep from us humility. And when it does, <clears throat> we move in, not in position to be blessed by God, but actually in opposition to God, according to James chapter 4 and 1 Peter chapter 5. Humility is that key. Let me give you a couple more real quick. Is that money really does have the ability to hold freedom hostage from us. In Luke chapter 12, verse 48, it says, Great gifts mean great responsibilities. Greater gifts mean greater responsibilities. So again, the more money, the more resources you have, the more responsibility you have. If you start a business, now you employ people instead of being employed. So now you have what? You have greater responsibility. And if you're doing that within your own strength, you have lost what? You've lost freedom. You're now in bondage 
to trying to create the resources to take care of the people that now work for you, which causes you stress. And the very thing you were hoping to experience by starting the business is not what you're experiencing because money's holding that freedom hostage. You can't go and do what you once did, even though now you have the money, but now you don't have, you don't have the time. You don't have the, you don't have the freedom. Luke chapter 8, uh, 16 says, if you haven't been faithful with worldly wealth, well, who can trust you with true riches? If you haven't been faithful with someone else's property, who will give you your own? No household can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one and love the other, or you'll be loyal to one and have contempt for the other. You cannot serve both God and wealth. In other words, your loyalties can't be divided. Because that's what we want to do. We want to think that somehow God can be important, but also resources can be important. And, and what Jesus is saying is that that's really an impossibility. Is that whatever is priority in your life is what <clears throat> now controls you. And if money or possessions, stuff, is in control or priority of our life, it, it, it takes from us our freedom. It, it, we, we don't have the ability now <clears throat> to be what God's created us to be because money is a cruel master. And then the last one I wanted to, to share is wealth. Now, you, you might say, well, Troy, that doesn't make a lot of sense. How in the world can money hold money hostage? Or, or how can money blackmail money? Well, look what the Scripture says. A wisdom writer says in Proverbs 13, 11, money gained by cheating others will soon be what? Gone. Money saved through hard work will grow and grow. The NLT translates it like this. Wealth from get-rich schemes quickly disappears. Wealth from hard work grows over time. Now, here's what that, it's trying, I think, to teach us, is that greed is never satisfied. And so when you and I look and we say, man, I would be satisfied, I would be significant, and I would be secure if I had, you know, just a little more, if I had that, if I had that amount of money, and then we, we, we go after that, you know, as quick as we can, however we can, because it's the priority, the focus of our lives. But because greed can't ever be satisfied, then you're not you're, you're not um, grateful, you're not thankful for where you're at. Why? Because you got to get more, right? You thought it'd be awesome if one day you could own your own business, but now it just, if you could have two locations. Now, is it wrong to have two locations? No. But when you and I take shortcuts, what the scripture is saying is that the very desire, the greed, the priority of money will steal from you the ability to have money. Because you, and if you read all of uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, that's basically what it talks about. It says that so many times leaders, business people lose what they have. And when they do, it hurts the people <clears throat> around them. So money really can rob from us the wealth that God wanted to give to us. Because rather than follow God, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and then all these things will be added unto you. Matthew 6.33, we seek what? We seek the wealth. We seek the possessions. And because now they are priority, it's one of those things that we never are, are satisfied with. And as a result, we eventually lose what we have. And, and that's what um, the wisdom writer here is talking about. Now, it pretends to give us satisfaction and significance and security. It can rob us from peace, humility, freedom, and wealth. But where I want us to end our time is that money, when it's set free, can do incredible things in our lives. So how do we set it free? How do we keep money from blackmailing us? Or how do we keep money from holding us hostage? Because money is not evil. It's the love of money, the scripture I put in your outline. God created the ability to make money. So, so how does it add to the joy of our lives as opposed to destroying us? How can we experience what we were created to experience? Well, we're going to look in the, at that in a moment. But before we do, I, I wanted to uh, introduce you to somebody because I think it's important for you to see how people uh, apply the scripture in their own life. 
I mean, I'm the pastor, right? I'm supposed to say these things. And when it comes to money, you know, preachers are supposed to talk about it. But, I mean, how does it live, how does it live out? And, you know, we hear stories all the time. And I just wanted to, um, to share one with you. So if you would, give Sharice a hand. And she's going to join me. And uh, she's going to share a little bit of her story. Can you do that? Sharice, thank you so much. Thank you. Sharice has been at Potential Church for 27 years. Wow, that's incredible, right? I told her earlier she's been here longer than I've been alive, so. <laughs> you laugh at that. Right. Um, she came, she said, when she was 13 years old. And I, I want to jump forward to your adult years. And, uh, okay. You had been at uh, a healthcare job for 14 years. Yes. Pretty content in that job, just meeting your needs at the time. And uh, one day you, you walked into a meeting and you got a surprise. Yes. What, what, what was that surprise? Um, we were called in in the fall of 2012 and we were told our whole department would be closing down and it would be outsourced to a third party. Wow, so all of a sudden you find yourself you know, I, I lose my job here. They're saying I'm going to. And you're a little unprepared. I mean, it's been a while since you've done yes. a, uh, a resume or anything, anything like that. And then at the same time that was going on in your work life, um, and then, you know, you're coming to Potential, and you hear an announcement. And, and what was that announcement? Um, when I came one weekend within that same time frame, I saw um, that the church is going to be starting Financial Peace University. You know, it's, 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 it's interesting because we have probably, we were talking earlier, that announcement had probably been made before. Yes. Um, but you, it had never got your attention in a way. Yes. And, and I, it's amazing how God prepares us for what he has for us, isn't it? I mean, it's like this weekend. I don't know what campus you're at, but God's probably prepared you to hear something, whether it be from Sharice or from me or from God's word, somebody in the lobby. That's been said a hundred times, but because of where you're at, you're going to hear it for the first time, and um, it's going to have an incredible impact on your on your life. Financial Peace University. So, uh, tell us what that is. Um, Financial Peace University is a nine-week course, and they teach you everything from having an emergency fund, um, paying off your debt all the way to insurance, the importance of insurance, and securing a legacy for our family, um, retirement, and building wealth, and just using that to make a kingdom difference. So you came thinking really it's going to be more just about getting out of debt. Yes. But you experienced a lot more. Absolutely. Now, the amazing thing, and, and one of the reasons I wanted you to hear Sharice's uh, story, is so, so you go and you learn about budgeting and insurance and all the things that you had mentioned and then applied it yes and miraculously uh, I mean well tell us what happened um, what was supposed to be a 12 to 18 month phase out of my job ended up uh, by God's grace I was at the job for an additional three years and within that time frame um, I was able to dump and pay off hundred and ninety five thousand dollars in debt Wow, that's awesome, isn't it? $195,000? Now, I want you to understand, that really happened, all right? <laughs> so when you hear the truth of God's Word and the wisdom of God's Word, it's real stuff. So you, so you, so you and that blows me away, three years you paid off that debt, and um, also at the same time, you did something for your, your kids. Yes. Um, the financial peace class also gave me an opportunity, you know, during the lesson of college tuition, I was able to prepay my kids' college tuition in full, which gave them a gift of starting their career and their lives um, in financial peace. And I think you were telling me too, you got life insurance for the first life time? Life insurance, I learned the importance of life insurance, you know, just to not take life for granted that we're not promised tomorrow, and the importance of securing a legacy for my family, just knowing they're gonna be okay. Now, 
you mentioned there at the end, you know, the, the ability to position ourselves so that we can um, build wealth and then do something productive with that wealth. Yes. And, uh, you know, the scripture talks about giving. It talks about um, tithing and, and stewardship. What did what what, what'd you learn about that or how, how did that impact you? Um, you know, another thing I learned is the importance of tithing. Tithing, um, putting God first and giving him our first 10. And, you know, the Bible says he challenges us to test him and to give us, um, give him our first 10 and that we would reap an abundance of blessings. And I've definitely experienced that and more. And now because you've experienced that and, and so many different, you know, when you think of finances, they cover so much of our lives. Um, you didn't just learn it, apply it and move on. Um, you decided to volunteer for a couple years. Yes. Uh, here at Potential yes. with, the, with the class. And, um, and, then, and then you did something a little different. Tell us what that was. Um, you know, I, at the end of the class, they give us an opportunity to volunteer if we want to come back and volunteer. I did that for a couple years. And, you know, God nudged my heart. And he was like, you know, that's, that's good, but I challenge you to do more. I challenge you to bring it out into the community. And, you know, not, not, did I not only bring it to the community, you know, I really prayed on it. And Potential Church here has a prison ministry. So I decided to actually take it into the prison system, the men's prison system, and teach so it So you there. decided that you're going to take Financial Peace University, um, partnering with the prison ministry here, to yes. the prison. So you went yes. to the prison. Inside the prison. Because you're not a The big, men's prison. You're not a big person. <laughs> and, I, not, I, I, you know, when you first decided to do that, not everybody thought didn't understand that, I guess. Yeah, you know, a lot of people doubted me. Um, they doubted me, they doubted my students. Um, you know, they just said, you're so small, you know, you're a female, <laughs> you're petite, and, and you know, why them? And, you know, I just, God doesn't love them any more or less than he loves us. And so, you know, a lot of times when we're challenged and they say we can't do something, it, it makes us wanna do it just to prove them wrong. <laughs> I remember when I heard that we were teaching Financial Peace University in the prison. Um, I might could have been one of those that doubted. Um, uh, <laughs> but I, but, it, but but you you did it. You've been faithful, and as a result, it, it has had an impact. And I, I just uh, one of those uh, men is Marvin. He spent 20 years in prison, and. Um, He's uh, been out now, I think, for nine, nine months. months. Nine yep. months. One of my students. And I, 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 this is Marvin. Appreciate it. She was appreciated by the, um, by the guys that she came in contact with. She was an excellent teacher. She had a genuine concern about the people who she was trying to um, the, uh, bring this information to. Financial Peace, Sharice, uh, brought this to my attention. and. Um, I still care with me to this day. That's awesome. <clears throat> Marvin's going to share a little more of his story in the future as long as, uh, as well as uh, some more of Sharice's um, story. But I just wanted you to hear that, that what we apply matters. It's not just to hear, but it's to actually apply to our lives. And then the impact that you can have we're actually beginning a Financial Peace University, not this weekend, but next weekend. You can sign up um, there in your program or out in the lobby, or you can go online and, and sign up. Um, it's nine weeks, and um, it's, what is it, $99 or something? It's $99 um, for a lifetime membership. Uh, and so, and it's really us partnering um, with Ramsey's organization and uh, it's had incredible impact on people's lives. Let's give Sharice a hand one more time and thank you for sharing thank her you. story. Awesome, thanks so much. Now, I wanna end our time by telling us how we can set money free so that we can um, experience God's blessing in our lives. Four things real quick, here's the first one. Money is set free so that it can't hold us hostage and so that we can experience satisfaction and significance and security when, we, first of all, we're grateful. 
when we're grateful and thankful. Now, what does that mean to be grateful? Because everybody says they're grateful. It means to understand from where your strength has come, where your gift has come, who has, who has provided it for you. I mean it like this. I am grateful for what I do have when I realize that I didn't earn it and I don't deserve it. Okay? Now, that's hard to say. And some of you really struggle with that because you worked 60 hours this week. All right, so it feels like you've earned what you have. But I want to show you what the scripture says, Ecclesiastes 5.19. Also, God gives what? What's that next word? God gives wealth, possessions, and power to enjoy those things. And he allows them to, uh, to accept their lot, talking about us as people, and to enjoy hard work. This is God's gift. So, so the scripture's clear on this. My ability to produce resources comes from God. Same thing said, we studied about this last weekend in Deuteronomy 8. Remember the eternal one, your God, he's the one who gives you the power to get what? Well, that's what the scripture says. So I can truly only be grateful when I realize that. Being grateful is not just enjoying what you have. It's realizing that you didn't earn it and you don't deserve it. And I'm telling you, that's not easy to do because everything within my skin knows how hard you worked, I worked. It knows the sacrifices that you, I have made that others didn't make. And so there is this tendency to want to say, what I have, I have earned, I have worked for, I have done what others would not do. And yet the scripture says that until I'm willing to accept that it is God that has provided the opportunity, that is God that has provided the ability, that is God who has brought that into my life. I truly can't be um, grateful. Here, here's the, here's the, the second, is to enjoy it. Money is set free when we not only are grateful for it, but when we enjoy it. Remember I said last week, success is not just about the task of success, but it's the ability to enjoy that success. It's not just about having resources, it's about the ability to enjoy the resources you have. We struggle at that as human beings, don't we? I mean, most people at every campus have more than most of the world. And yet so many times we don't enjoy what we do have. And God's like, how can I give you more of what you're not enjoying? So we have to come to a point where we can say, you know what, I am grateful for what I have, but I also want to enjoy what God has already given me. Ecclesiastes, the wisdom writer says, enjoy prosperity while you can. But when hard times come, realize that both come from God. Now think about that. I love that the scripture doesn't run from the fact that life is not always easy and that wealth um, is not always there. Now, God takes us and allows us to go through challenging times in order to prepare us for what he has for us in the future. And, th and I think that's why the wisdom writer is saying, enjoy where you're at. And when you go through a difficult time, know that that's not because God has forgotten you, but because God is still at work in you. He's got more for you. There's something he wants to do through you. Ecclesiastes 6.9 says, enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. Just dreaming about nice things is meaningless. It, it, it's like chasing the wind. We can miss the blessings that are right in front of us, can't we? Be careful of that, I'll be happy when, when this happens or when that happens. I'll enjoy life when. Now, these last two. In order for me to be grateful and in order for me to enjoy, not feel guilty about what God has given me, but to enjoy what God has given me, I have to do these last two. If I don't do these two, I'll never actually experience the first two. Money is set free when we are generous. You and I will never experience gratitude or enjoyment until we're willing to be generous. Look what it says in Ecclesiastes 11.1. 1. It says, be generous. Invest in acts of charity. Charity yields high returns. Now, why is that true? Why can I never actually be grateful unless I'm generous? 
Why can I never actually enjoy what I do have until I'm willing to be generous? See, what does generosity do? Generosity is the realization that what you have, you didn't earn or deserve. That's why you can give it away. It's like if I come to you and I give you $20 and I say, hey, this person over here, can you give them 10 Is it hard? No, it's easy. Why? It's not your money. Now, if I say, hey, can you take 10 out of your wallet and give it to them? That's a lot more challenging to do. And so generosity flows from a heart that understands what I have. I didn't earn. I don't deserve. You can, and when that's true, you can actually um, cheer on and celebrate other people's success. See, we struggle sometimes in, in cheering on other people's success. We say things like this. Well, they, they don't even love God. They're not even Christ followers. They're not even faithful. They don't even do this, and they don't even do that. And when you and I say things like that, what are we really saying? They don't deserve it. I do. That means we can't, we've never really come to a place of gratitude because we've never really come to a place where we understand, not just say with our words, See, generosity is where the rubber hits the road. You and I can say that we're grateful. We can say that all that we have, God has given us. But without generosity, it's just words. It's not truth. Scripture says, enjoy uh, prosperity. And then chapter 11, verse 1, be generous. Several scriptures I could have put. 1 Timothy chapter 6 says, tell those who are rich. Now remember who's rich. In the world's wealth, to quit being so full of themselves and obsessed with money, which is here today and gone tomorrow. Tell them to go after God, who piles on the riches we could, um, piles on the riches we could ever manage. To do good, to be rich in helping others, to extravagantly, I love that word, extravagantly. Say that with me, extravagantly. One more time at all of our campuses, extravagantly generous. If they do that... They will build a treasury that will last, um, gaining the life that is truly life. They will gain a treasury that lasts. In other words, they will know what life is. It's kind of like this. Let's say that March the 1st, dollar bills were worth nothing because we were going to exchange all the dollars into euros. So March 1, only euros were going to be taken by anybody and your dollars would be worthless. Now, what would be the wise thing to do if that were the case? What would the wise people do? Most wise people would immediately exchange as much money as they could, keeping only what they would need between now and March the 1st. They, they wouldn't try to get as many dollars as they could. No, they would, they would invest in euros. And the same thing is true when it comes to our spirituality. Is it what are we investing in? Are we investing in the short time in which we are here? Are we investing in the eternity? Where are we putting our treasure? In the dollars, in my illustration, that are not going to be worth anything? Or in the euros, in God's kingdom, that will be of great, of great value? And then the last thing. So we, we, we need to be generous and then we need to honor God. And this is, um, this is sometimes difficult to do. Because what does it mean to honor God? It means to prioritize him. To make him the priority of your life. And God has determined how he will reveal that to you and me. Not to him. God knows if he's priority in my life. So how can I know if God is priority in my life? It's money. Money is the way in which I discover whether or not God has priority in my life. In his word, he has told me to be generous. And he, is, he has told me to give an offering. He's told me to give a tithe. Now, a tithe is not, it's returning to God 10%. That's the starting point of what he's given me. A tithe is not about the vision of a church. It's not about feeding the hungry. It, it, it's not, now it does those things. But a tithe is, is about the revelation of my priorities. It's about whether or not I really do believe that what I have, God has given me, and I don't deserve it, and I haven't earned it. Now, let me show you in Scripture real quick, all right? 1 Corinthians chapter 16 says, every Sunday, which is, a, so there's a consistency to this, Paul says, every Sunday, each of you, Make an offering and put it in safekeeping. 
Be as generous as you can. And when I get there, um, that way when I get there, you'll have it ready and we won't have to make a special appeal. Paul says, be as generous as you can. So 10% is just the beginning point. It's not the end all. It's just God's way of saying, I'm going to let you know whether I'm priority in your life. Because God said, I've given you all these promises found in Scripture. Now, you have to determine whether or not you believe the Scripture. But God says all of these promises are found in Scripture. But they're only given when you and I have positioned ourselves to where he is pouring them out. And the last thing God wants is for you and me not to know where we're positioned or what is priority in our lives because we will fool ourselves. The Old Testament says that the heart is wicked. Who can know it? Right? And so God says, I'm going to give, give you a way in which to reveal the priorities of your life. And it's going to be through money because it is what we so often think has the greatest power in our lives. It's what can satisfy us. It's what can give us security. If we really believe that God could do those things, would we struggle to be obedient to what God's asking us to do in his word? Would you? I mean, would you really struggle to do what God's word says if you really believed that what he said was true? And I really, I, as a pastor, it crushes my heart because I think so many times we miss out on what God wants for us thinking somehow that God is not faithful. When in reality, God has revealed to us how we can know where we are positioned. He says every Sunday, and I thought, I was thinking about this. Sunday, of course, is the first day of the week. So, so our giving is in advance, isn't it? And here's what I mean by that. When I tithe, all right, I'm giving um, my tithe based upon what God has given me in the last week, all right? So, you know, God gives you $10. If you're starting at 10%, maybe, you know, you've gotten to more. You know, Steph and I have over the years. So I'm giving off of that. But once I give it, I don't have it for this week. So I'm giving what? What am I giving? I'm giving believing that what I have been obedient to do, now God is going to provide. I am now forced to live in faith. I am forced to trust him. And the only way I could do that is if I really believed he was going to keep his end of the deal. See, if I had any doubt that he was going to keep his end of the deal, then I'm going to hang on to it. And I'm going to wait till I feel secure, and then I'll give him what's left over. And God says, you can do that way, you know, but, but, but you're not... You're not being grateful when you do that. You're not being obedient when you do that. Obedience is on the first day of the week where right off the beginning of the week, we're positioning ourselves where we need God. Right? And, and I'm not, for some of us, it means we need God in order to pay our rent. For others of us, it means we need God in order to move the business forward. We're all at different seasons in our lives. For some of us, 10% is a lot. For others of us, it's a lot of money, but it's not a lot of your margin. But for all of us, it's difficult to do. So he says, it's the beginning of the week. So, so giving in advance, it, it always takes faith. It's, it's like farming, right? Do I eat the seeds that I have, or do I plant them for a harvest in the future? And that's exactly what Paul said. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Look what he says. He says, but I will say this to encourage your generosity. The one who plants a little harvest and the one, <clears throat> let me read that again. The one who plants little harvest is little. And the one who plants plenty harvests is plenty. There's not a farmer in the world, though, where, heart, where planting plenty doesn't take faith. Every farmer in the world has to have a confidence that God is going to provide the rain and the sun. If not, that farmer is in big trouble if they have planted for a big harvest. But if they only plant a little, it's impossible for them to ever have a big harvest. For them to ever have um, what God really desires for them to have. It says giving growth. Now listen, listen, I love scripture straight up here. And I hope you hear my heart. I'm a, I do not want you to do anything you don't want to do. Because the Bible says you shouldn't do it. Look what it says. It says giving grows out of the heart. Otherwise 
you've reluctantly grumbled yes because you felt you had to or because you couldn't say no. But this isn't the way God wants it. God doesn't want you to give because you feel that you have to or you watch a sad video or even because you see a need. God's desire for us to give as Christ followers is greater than that. Look what he says. He says, um, but this isn't what God, the way God wants. For we know that God loves what? A cheerful giver. Why? Because the only way you and I can give cheerfully is if we really believe that it is positioning us for blessing. If you don't believe or if you have doubt that God's actually going to do what he said, then you're going to give with hesitation. You're going to give with fear and trembling. You're going to give with worry and anxiety. And God says, I don't want you to do that. I am the all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere at one time God. In the beginning, I said, let there be light, and there was light. I created the world. I came to the cross. And if you're going to give, I want you to give because you believe that I am that God, that you have a confidence in that. So, so nobody ought to ever feel uncomfortable at church when it comes to talking about money because God gives you an out. He says, if you don't trust me, don't do it. Don't do it because some video or some pastor or some talker is really good at what they do. God wants a cheerful giver. God is ready to overwhelm you with more blessings than you could ever imagine so that you will always be taken care of in every way and you'll have more than enough to share. Sharice's story. And then the last scripture, tithing isn't something that just started, you know, with the modern church. It goes all the way back to the Old Testament. It even goes back before the law, Abraham tithe. Malachi chapter three, verse 10 says, I am the Lord all powerful. And I challenge you, God, God gets in our face about this because he knows what it represents. He says, I challenge you to put me to the test. Bring the entire 10% into the storehouse so that there will be food in my house. So in other words, God doesn't say, um, God says that when you and I are obedient in this area of our lives, we see where we are with him and our obedience also does what? It provides resources um, for ministry in his house. Then, then I will open up the windows of heaven and flood for you a, a blessing after blessing. When money is set free through our gratitude, through our enjoying it, through our generosity, and through our honoring of God, then we experience satisfaction, significance, insecurity in God. Or you can continue to believe and be blackmailed by money. It really is your choice. It's my choice. And it's a choice that we make every time God blesses us. Every time God provides any kind of resource in our lives. Would you bow your head? Your head bowed and your eyes closed. I've enjoyed this series, but it's been a challenging series, these mysteries. Money is always a challenging topic. I hope, I hope that it's at least something you can pray about. Maybe something that encourages you because you have stepped out in faith. That's my prayer for you and for me, that I might trust God more completely every day and that I wouldn't and that you wouldn't be blackmailed by money. In Jesus' name.